We come now to Philippians chapter 2 and the paragraph made up of verses 14 to 18. And what we're going to focus on in this session, and we'll be on this paragraph for quite a few, quite a few sessions, grumbling and disputing. How important is that? Is that central to the book or is that just an aside? Let's read it. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, this is stunning. We are so prone to to grumble and dispute, murmur, think evil thoughts, complain, Oh, God, use this text to make us brighter in this dark world by making us murmur-free. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no connector like a because or a therefore to this what just went before, namely the section, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the absence of any connector and just the immediate command to do all things without grumbling inclines me to think that the way Paul is thinking is, this is a way, this is a way of doing, verses 12 and 13, namely, working out your salvation. And you remember all that we said about that. Effecting, bringing about, making real your salvation in life. So here's a concrete path of doing that. Namely, do all things without grumbling. Did he have something specific in mind to focus on with this all things. I don't want to limit it, but I think since just before verses 12 through 13, there were these commands in verses 3 through 8, it would be good to bring them into focus again. So just before he talked about every knee bowing before Jesus and him being exalted above every name, he had said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So there's a huge command to count others uh, as worthy of your service. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Don't be selfish. Don't be ingrown. Don't think that only you count, but also to the interests of others. So those two huge commands, take others' interests into account and 
count them more significant than yourself. And then he uses Jesus as an example. Have this mind, and that's the mind he was talking about, and now he describes it the way Jesus lived it. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Do that without murmuring. Taking the form of a servant, do that without murmuring. Being born in the likeness of man, get down low with man without murmuring. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, do that without murmuring. Becoming obedient, do that without murmuring. To the point of death, yes, even the death on the cross, be willing to die without murmuring. So yes, count others more significant than yourselves without murmuring. Take others' interests into account and serve them without murmuring. Empty yourself, be a servant, be obedient. Go right into death if you have to without murmuring or grumbling. So I think all things here does mean all things, but he's thinking most immediately about be people of lowly, humble, other-oriented service and ministry. Do that without grumbling. And since the example of Jesus was foremost here, that calls to mind the fact that when Jesus was prophesied as coming to suffer like that, it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. This is Isaiah 53. Yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't murmur. He didn't complain. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. So Jesus did not complain in his ministry of suffering. And we shouldn't either. Here's Jesus being described again in 1 Peter 2. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile. He didn't open his mouth and complain or criticize or dispute. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he kept on trusting himself to him who judges justly. So do all things without grumbling or disputing the way Jesus served people without grumbling or disputing. We've been assuming disputing here. What, what does that mean? Why does he say disputing? That seems like an odd dispute with whom? The word here in Greek is simply thoughts sometimes translated evil thoughts, sometimes translated quarreling, which is why disputing is used here. If you say, okay, without grumbling or thoughts, that, that doesn't make sense unless you qualify the thoughts. So you'd have to say evil thoughts. And then you'd have to say, well, what, what kind of evil thoughts? What, what are, what's evil about them? And the answer would be, they are, <laughs> they are thoughts that dispute with God. God, what are you doing? God, why am I suffering? The, these, this disputing here is first in the head. It's not first with anybody. He's not talking about any debate here. 
He's simply talking about what goes on in your thoughts when you're about to verbally grumble. What goes on is criticism and indictment and uh, your inner lawyer is getting in God's face and saying he shouldn't be treating you this way or people shouldn't be treating you this way. So this does make sense to have these together here, the external grumbling and the internal disputing that things shouldn't be the way they are. Now, here's my only other question. How central is this? Do all things without murmuring. In Philippians 1, 25 to 28, we read, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. So Paul's going to stay on the planet to bring about the joy of faith. Now, the joy of faith would be the opposite of the complaining of faith, the murmuring of faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So this joy is ruling out fear and fear and joylessness is what causes murmuring. So if not murmuring is like joy of faith and like being freed from fear in the midst of opposition, then it is not marginal to this letter. It's central to this letter. And here's an interesting thing, and we'll talk about this probably next time. This joy and fearlessness is a clear sign to them of their destruction. How do you think that compares to this? If you are doing things without grumbling and disputing, you shine as lights in the world. You think that shining there has anything to do with this sign here? A light in the midst of a crooked generation and a sign in the midst of those who are trying to destroy you or who will be destroyed because of their opposition to you? This is not marginal. Chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's the opposite of murmuring, complaining, grumbling. I know how to be brought low and not grumble. I know how to abound and not grumble. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger without grumbling, abundance and need without grumbling. I can do all things without grumbling through him who strengthens me. This is not marginal. This is the the center of Paul's concerns. Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count Everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. In other words, all the loss in life is rubbish compared to having Christ. Nothing will take away murmuring like 
saying to every loss that comes, I'm not going to murmur. I'm not going to murmur. I'm not going to murmur and grumble and complain and indict God. I have Jesus and he is worth everything to me. Or chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in prison. What has happened to me? This would cause grumbling, right? What has happened to me? I'm in prison. I should be grumbling. I'm not. Because God is in control and he's using it to advance the gospel. How? Look what happens. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. I don't want to murmur about that. I don't want to grumble about that. But what about this? The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, trying to afflict me in my imprisonment. That's worth grumbling about, isn't it? No, it's not. Why? What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense, that's that right there, or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and I'm going to rejoice. Yes, I'm going to rejoice. This book is all about conquering grumbling. It is. It's all about conquering grumbling. Because when we conquer grumbling, look, that you may be blameless and innocent, You're going to be free from grumbling, free from disputing. You're going to be blameless and innocent. Children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, all they do is murmur and grumble and complain among whom you, therefore, don't do that and shine. This is the light of the world. We're going to talk about that in the sessions to come. Being free from grumbling through faith in Christ is not marginal.